I'm thinking that we're going to finish today, but it's okay if we don't, right? If not, if God doesn't finish with us today, we'll just come back to wisdom next week. But I believe we're going to get finished today. Wow, I feel like I need the Superman moving in storage. Praise God. Message four. Our great need. The wisdom of God. Grab your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is just before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read... Verse 6 together. Wow, this is powerful. Isaiah chapter 9. Y'all wouldn't mind if I pray one more time, would you? Stand with me one more time. Father, I want to thank you once again for all that you're doing in the lives of every person in this room. We want to thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a living word. We thank you that it is a word that is empowered to change our lives. It is my desire, and I know it is birthed out of your desire, Father, that no one leaves here today without being touched by your word, without being changed by your word, without being empowered by your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Remain standing. We're going to begin reading. We're going to read verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Ooh, I like that. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before you are seated, I want you to repeat a statement after me. I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to say it again. I want you to say it with me the second time through. Counselors determine the destiny of kings. Say that with me. Counselors determine the destiny of kings. One more time. Counselors determine the destiny of kings. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to take some time to develop this idea with you this morning. And one of the reasons why I want to do it, you may be sitting there thinking this morning, well, I don't know what it has to do with the wisdom of God. Well, wonderful counselor is the one who blesses us with this wisdom we've been talking about for four weeks now. We're in week four, right? And what have we learned? We've learned that we need the wisdom of God, right? So that we know a strategy from God. So that when we carry out God's plan, we have victory. And when there is victory, we get to enjoy the presence of the glory of God because in victory, there is glory. There's no glory in defeat. There isn't even any glory in a truce or a draw or a stalemate. There's only glory in victory. Can you say amen? So we need godly wisdom to get a strategy, right, to achieve victory so that we enjoy the presence of the glory of God. It's God's glory. It's not our glory. We can't possess it. We can't own it. We can't take credit for it. But we sure can enjoy the presence of it. Amen? And God gets glory when we enjoy victory. Amen? You're twice dead. That's good stuff. That's good. That's shouting material right there. If that doesn't electrify you, you're twice dead and plucked up by the roots. All right? You know? Let's get with it here a little bit. So, we're into wisdom. We're into strategy. We're into victory. We're into glory. Amen? If we don't learn anything else, you need to learn those four things. And where do we get the wisdom from? Where does the strategy come from? Where does the victory come from? Where does the glory come from? How many times have you heard me say, what have we learned here? Even in the last nine months, God has pushed this into me is, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's what makes Him God, right? If He wasn't like this, He would not be God. 
If God decided to be unreasonable, could he do it? Yeah, if he decided to be unreasonable, he could do it because he's God, right? Would it do us any good to get upset about it? You know, one of the, the things about God, though, is we are familiar with his character, and that is not like him to be unreasonable. It's not like him. But we must accept the fact that any time he wants, he can do anything he wants. Amen? We're just fortunate that he chose to love us the way he loves us. Amen? So, how do we get God's wisdom? We ask for it. Amen? People say, Brother Dennis, I just don't... I've had people tell me, and it still overwhelms me, I don't know how to pray. Well, I say, well, you're standing here talking to me. <laughs> you know, if you can stand there and talk to me, you can talk to God. And, and he wants to hear your voice. He's God, but he wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear it. Amen? You can talk to God just like you're talking to your neighbor, just like you talk to me. Talk to God. He understands that. Amen? And, and if your life is in a mess and things are piled up high, this is just the refresher for what we've kind of been covering for three weeks. Talk to God and ask him, Father, we know now what we need. We need his wisdom. If we get his wisdom and get a strategy, then we don't have to go back to the same barn over and over again and get kicked by the same mule. Because we need that to change. There are people out there that keep, their, their life is a cycle of getting back in the same barn and getting kicked by the same mule over and over again. You know why? Because they're asking God for victory when they should be asking God for wisdom. Because in the wisdom of God is a victory, that, a strategy for victory that will keep them from going back to the barn and getting kicked by the same mule. Amen? I mean, right now, even, there are people in here, you know, been serving the Lord for a lot of years and still may be facing certain things that if the wisdom of God was manifest in our lives, all of it would change. All of that would change. That thing that you've been fighting for 40, 50, 60 years, I don't know how many years, in the wisdom of God is a strategy for victory for the glory of God to be manifest in your life and for that to be done, over, out of the way. All right. In the way of refresher, this series of messages is going to help the children of God understand that Jesus has turned every opportunity for sin into an opportunity to win. Every challenge we face in life is a door for which God's wisdom can be manifest in our life so we can know the plan he has for us to achieve victory. In the process, we get to see the glory of God manifest in our lives. Now, I started off the service by having you repeat after me that counselors determine the destiny of kings. We're going to prove it in the word of God today. I like to do that, but I'm not going to do it instantly. We're going to work our way up to it, all right? And when you see it, it's kind of amazing. I love the way the word of God, you know, ties all the loose ends up. Amen? Some 30 years ago, I'm going to start with this story. Some 30 years ago, there was an Olympian competitor named Ben Johnson. You probably never heard of him. He was from Canada. He won a gold medal in the 100-meter dash. However, he tested positive for anabolic steroids. He was stripped of his medal and returned to his home country of Canada in shame. At that point, he was banned from competition for life in his home country. This was a great tragedy because he paid a price for something he did when he acted on someone else's advice. Because of a hamstring injury, he was evidently counseled to get a steroid treatment and was told it would be out of his system by the time the Olympics started. So he's left to pay the price for a decision that he had made based on the counsel he had received. You know what one of the amazing things about counseling is? Do you realize that counseling is more about listening than it is about talking? Now, if that's true, 
What do you think the most influential counselor in America is today? Just give a little thought and, and, and don't be afraid, spit out an answer. What is the most influential counselor in America today? There's no really wrong answers. There's some better than others. What you say? Media. Media. Television. Television is the most influential counselor in the world today. Now, if that doesn't frighten you, <laughs> I don't know what, what could or should. But the fact of the matter is, you know how I know... You think about this truth for a moment. Counseling is based more on listening than talking. If we spend as much time in God's Word and in prayer as we do watching TV, we'd be a whole lot better off, don't you think? I'm just saying we should start exercising some control over it. That's what I'm saying, right? Now, let's think about this for a minute. I just needed to take a stab at that. If, you're, if your television-watching habits are out of control, maybe it's time to ask God for wisdom, strategy, Victory and glory. Man, I want to, I, I started to pin these things. I wrote down, and this isn't limited here. It's just not all inclusive. But I wrote, how many different ways does God, the greatest counselor, God's the greatest counselor, amen? How many different ways does God, the greatest counselor, speak to us? Well, we're, get ready to write. If you want to write, get ready to write. I wrote number one, an audible voice. The exception, not the rule. There's a reason why I said that. An audible voice, the exception, not the rule. But God can speak in an audible voice to you, can he not? Amen? Number two, the written word. The rule, not the exception. Pay close attention to that. Amen? Number three, and we're not going to be able to expound on all this, but I'm just, I'm writing down the things that I know that God can speak to me through. Three is prophets. If you don't believe prophets are alive and well today, you're missing something in the Word of God because the prophets are real, amen? And God speaks. That's one of the things that God does with prophets. He speaks to them, amen? Number four, I'm just quoting this from the King James Version. Spirit, notice, capital S, to spirit, little s, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen? I mean, for me, I'm just, I, I know that the Holy Spirit spoke with me because one moment I don't know something, and the next moment I do. And I know where it came from because I'm not smart enough to figure it out on my own. Amen? I, I don't know something, then all of a sudden I know something brilliant and good. I know the source. <laughs> Amen? Spirit to spirit, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Number five, the gifts of the Spirit. God can speak to us through the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Number six, God can speak to us through angels. Amen? Number seven, God can speak to us through dreams, but watch that one. Amen? Watch that one. Number eight, God can speak to us through visions. Amen? Number nine, not so spiritual, but God can speak to us through circumstances. Amen? And number ten, God can speak to us through godly counselors. One of the reasons why there is such a need for counselors in the church today is because there's a drought of prayer and study of the Word. Don't, don't get upset with me now. I, I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I counsel. I counsel people, but I'd rather, I'd rather teach you the Word. I'd rather teach you to live your life by the Word and you not need counsel. Amen? That's what I love about my son-in-law, Isaac. Isaac's going to point you to the Word. <laughs> he's going to pray with you. He's going to point you to the Word, and he's not going to slip you some Freudian advice. There is no room for counselors in the body of Christ that teach anything Freudian in nature. Amen? None whatsoever. That's why the best counselors you can ever have are the ones that point you in the direction of the Word of God in prayer and answer your questions with the Word of God. Amen? What we're going to do today is dive into the Word and find out if the principles we've laid out so far have their foundation in godly counsel. Turn to Proverbs chapter 4. 
we've spent a lot of time in Proverbs, but I love it. Amen? Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to verse 8. I love hearing the pages turn. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Now, we've, we've read the scripture before, but we've got to go back there, right? We're going to lay eyes on it again. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Where do we get wisdom? From God. Amen? And whatever you get, get insight. I like that. Verse 8. Prize her highly. Prize who highly? Wisdom. Right? Prize her highly. And she will what? She'll exalt you. She will promote you. Amen? She will promote you. And she will honor you. If you embrace her, she will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The King James Version says, exalt wisdom and she will promote you. It uses the word promote, and that's very important to me and what I'm trying to get across to you this morning. One of the greatest stories in the Bible that illustrates the working of God's wisdom in the life of a person is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 39, beginning with verse 1. So, where are we going? Genesis, chapter 39. Now, we're going to slow down here a little bit. Genesis, chapter 39, verse 1. Now, we know the story of Joseph, right? Remember his coat of many colors? You know, you look at the end story of Joseph. Let's jump ahead because we, we know about Joseph, right? We know about him. Um, we know that at, at the end of his life, there was no one more powerful in Egypt than Joseph except Pharaoh. He was second only to Pharaoh, right? And, and when he revealed to his brothers who he was, he hugged them and he told them not, not to be sad that God had put Joseph through everything that he had gone through for this purpose that he might save many from starvation, right? But man, you look at that. Look at that wisdom. Look at that strategy. Look at that plan. A man paid a price for that one. Do you get what I'm saying? But why? Why? Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> Do you remember when Joseph was young and he had visions and he had dreams? The way he talked about them depicted that he had a problem. And the problem was similar to the problem Naaman had. What was it? Pride. It's the problem with many of us today. We can't look down our noses at Naaman, and we can't really look down our noses at Joseph because pride stands in the way of many of God's plans coming to flourishing in our lives. I mean, there are those of us in the body of Christ, that when God's wisdom gets manifest in our lives, we want to take some credit for it. Never forget, if God can speak to a jackass, he can use you, amen, and he can use me, right? You know? You don't think that's as funny as I do, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, he can speak to an animal, a dumb animal, you call him, you know? He can use us. He can speak to us. Never grab hold of and try to embrace the glory that belongs to God because it's dangerous. Don't do it. You can, you can wash in it, you know, but don't take credit for it. Don't try to possess it. Do not try to take credit for it. It's not yours. And you see the life of Joseph as God moved him through what he moved him through. And, and listen, we get all wore out sometimes when, you know, um, we, you know, we face a challenge, you know, and we get through that one, and then a week later we find ourselves somewhere else, you know, facing something else, and then turn right around a week later, and we've got a bunch of people praying, and now we're facing something else, and the cycle goes on and on. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, the God's whittling, is God whittling on the edges? Is God trying to prepare you with the same types of things that he had to put Joseph through to get Joseph ready to be used by God to save millions of people. 
that pride had to be dealt with. God was not going to take Joseph from where he was and exalt him. He wasn't going to do it. Because Joseph proved that he was conducting himself in an unwise manner with the way he dealt with the visions and the dreams and the coat of many colors, he flaunted it to his brothers. God could not use Joseph in that state because it would not have been good for Joseph and it would not have been good for the children of Israel. Now, his brothers have thrown him in a pit. They've sold him into slavery, and we chase him down, and we get to verse, uh, chapter 39. Now, Joseph, verse 1, chapter 39 of Genesis, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and lights who had brought her. An officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought him from the Israelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How many of you know that changes have already started in this man's life? Amen. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, after, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Stop right there for a minute. Lie with me, but stop there for a minute. What do we know about Joseph at this time? What do we know about him? We know he is no longer the man that his brothers threw in that pit. Because wisdom is in the process of exalting him. Wisdom never exalts a person or promotes them before their time. The wisdom of God is never premature. And so what do we see? So she says, uh, but he refused. She said, lie with me. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Man, I'm telling you, this ain't the man that was thrown in the pit by his brothers. Notice he didn't say, how can I do this and get away with it? He didn't say that, did he? Notice that Joseph's first concern was not, how can I do this and get away with it? His first thought was not of himself and what he could get away with, but his concern was about his relationship with God. What would this do to that relationship, honestly? When people begin to live as if they don't have a primary relationship with God, and feel as though they can do anything they want as long as they can get away with it, that is not true. That is a lie. Nathan, place this up on the screen here. The basic issue is not what you can do and get away with it in the sight of God. It's what you can do and still be in the fear of the Lord. Now think about this with me. And the fear of the Lord is not an awesome dread of God, but a fear of the Lord not to displease him. Think about that. The fear of the Lord is not an awesome dread of God, but a fear of the Lord not to displease him, but to please him in everything you do. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the restraint to do evil. Joseph had it. He proved that he had it. He had the type of respectful fear for the Lord to be able to restrain from evil. How many of you know that Potiphar's wife probably wasn't ugly? 
Potiphar's wife probably was not an ugly woman. She set her sights on Joseph like he was going to be a trophy. She wanted to seduce him. Let's see now. He is not greater in this house than I am, verse 9. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And he came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge. What, what's happening again? Didn't matter what happened to Joseph. Wisdom was going to promote him. But I'm telling you, it still wasn't pleasant. Here he obeyed God. Here he did the right thing. And what did he get for it? He got thrown in prison. Let, let me explain something to you. And Potiphar knew the character of Joseph. That's the thing that amazes me. But he's married. His wife said this. He's going to respond accordingly. And Joseph was thrown into prison on circumstantial evidence. That's all it took. Circumstantial evidence. Listen to me. Someone on the other side of Anchorage can start telling a lie about you. And by the time it gets to this side of town, it's got a cow attached to it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Once the lies start flying, you see what I'm saying? But the wisdom of God remained with the man that it promoted. Amen? God knows what he's doing. Joseph did not want to displease God. And what did it get him? Got him thrown in prison. What was God doing with Joseph? Getting him ready. Joseph was being worked on by God and being prepared to save millions from starvation. Of course, Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph because she had suffered rejection and wanted revenge. And because... People are negative by nature. It's easier to believe a lie than it is to believe the truth. If someone across town, like I said, starts a lie about you, it gets exponentially worse by the time it gets to you. Amen? Because of human nature. Keep in mind that Potiphar knew Joseph's character and still convicted him on circumstantial evidence. When Joseph was put in prison, there were three who knew the truth. Joseph, Potiphar's wife, and God. God knew the truth. Amen? However, if you exalt wisdom, she will what? She will promote you. The wisdom of God did not 
abandon Joseph. So even in prison, he was promoted to being in charge. Now let's abbreviate this story a little bit. I want you to jump to uh, Genesis chapter 41. Look at, look at verse 1. Genesis 41 verse 1. Two whole years. Two years. After two years, Pharaoh dreamed he was standing by the Nile. Do you remember the dream? You remember the dream? It involved ears of corn, cows, you know, there were, and, and it involved seven, right? And, and there was a dream, and he didn't know what the interpretation was. Now, watch this with me. After two old years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And Pharaoh awoke. Wow, it jumped. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its what? Wise men. Why? Because when you seek counsel, you need to seek counsel from wise men, right? Only these are messed up wise men. Now I'm going to tell you something. When it says magicians and wise men back in these days, these people didn't play. They weren't like the magicians we have now to pull a coin out of your ear or slip a card out of their sleeve. They did some very powerful, strange, and bizarre things. And there's still people out here in this world doing that kind of junk today. Don't play around with that stuff. Treat it like the plague child of God. Amen? Don't be impressed by it, in other words. Pray against it. Don't be enthralled by it. All right? Now watch this. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him. Now, if you think for a minute that because he was second in charge in the prison, that he was on easy street, listen to these words. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the what? The English Standard Version translated as the pit. That's where he worked. That's where he lived. The pit. The dungeon. All right? And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one that can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, lay it on me, Pharaoh, I'll tell you. No, that's not what he said, right? Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It, it, it causes me to burst out in tears if I'm not careful because I see what God did to a young man that got through in a pit when he was just a youngin, when he was just really a child. And the man he's become that God had brought out of this pit and he takes no credit. And he doesn't touch the glory. He doesn't clutch to it. He doesn't make any claim to it. He doesn't call it his. He said, it's not in me. I can't do it. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And because he was that kind of man with that kind of character, he knew God would do just exactly what he said God would do because he knew God. 
And you know the rest of that story. He gave the interpretation to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was greatly relieved and said, there's no man in this nation wiser than you. I'm going to place you in charge of dealing with this famine that is to come with the seven years of prosperity and the seven years of famine. And wisdom had taken that young man from a pit and brought him all the way up to being the second most powerful human being on the planet in that day and age and at that time. Wisdom did that for that young man. That's what wisdom did. Embrace her, and she will exalt you. Or you want a promotion at work? There's people that wonder, number one, why they can't get a job sometimes. Number two, why they can't get a promotion. Pray about it. Talk to God about his wisdom. God will even give you, through his wisdom, the words to say in an interview. How to present yourself. What you should say, what you should do, because, and then you let wisdom, the wisdom of God, exalt you and get you your job. Let the wisdom of God exalt you and get you that promotion that you get angry about sometimes because you, I know I deserve it, I know I'm better than so-and-so, that got it, that doesn't matter who you're better than. Let wisdom exalt you in due time, amen, and that job will be yours, that promotion will be yours. Trust in God. Trust his wisdom. Amen? So, now, go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. It, it times almost up for Moses. Times almost up. Moses is giving a little speech. He's rehearsing something in the ears of the people. He's talking about Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9. Moses says, at that time, he's talking about the history now of Israel. At that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for you, choose for your tribes, what? What, what did it say? Choose for your tribes, what? That, that was the criteria, right? They had to be wise men, right? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And, and at that top tier, there was 70 of them. And the criteria on their resume for this promotion was that they had to be men of wisdom. That was the criteria. If you're not being promoted, or you, you know, things aren't going the way you think they ought to go, then rethink your approach. Amen? Say, well, you know, I'm, I'm realizing I'm not so wise. Well, good. Realize who is. Declare your dependence upon the one who is wise. This tells me that my lack of wisdom can be a barrier to my advancement and promotion. Put this up on the board. We've got to look at it again. The one quality that Moses looked for in promoting 70 people to help him adjudicate justice among the children of Israel was... Wisdom. All right, now go with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of pounding here a little bit, but we've made a lot of statements about things in the Word of God. We might as well show you where we got them from. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. Look. Are you there? You sound like you're there. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, 
Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in this great and steadfastness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to set on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. He's saying, I don't know how to even act in this job. I'm too young. He's saying it. I don't know what to do. He's saying to God, I don't even know how to dress for the job. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord. How many of you want to please God? How many know you can't do that on your own? You're no good at it. You're no good at it. You want to please God? Ask him for his wisdom in your life. For a strategy, a plan. Obey it. Get victory in this area. I mean, pleasing God should be the first most important thing in our lives. Pleasing God. Joseph did not want to displease God. Even though it got him thrown in prison, God had a different job for him later. Amen? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked. Both riches and honor. Where have we seen that before? Was that not in Proverbs where it said, embrace her? Do you remember that? Riches and honor. We're in a right hand, long life, riches and honor, peace, pleasantness and peace, right? Do you know that in the life of Solomon, Israel did not fight a single war? Not a single war. Yet he built the most powerful army in the history of the nation of Israel. He had it if he needed it. But he didn't need it. How many of you know that nations are not built during times of war? They're built during times of peace. You want to build a family? Build a family in time of peace. Not. You can't build a family in war or at war. You build families, men, in times of peace. See? God said, I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor. Why? Because he asked for wisdom. That, that's, you, you see Proverbs unfolding right here before the eyes of Solomon, right? So behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you in all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David uh, walked, then I will lengthen your days, long life, through and long life to boot. All the things that Proverbs says you can have if you exalt wisdom, embrace wisdom. Am I right or wrong? Okay, watch now. Now, jump down to verse 16. Then two prostitutes came to the king. And stood before him, the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else in the house with us, uh, in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while her servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. 
But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. You know the story, right? So Solomon says, take the child. And, and, and he was about to actually do the first most advanced DNA test in his day and age. He's going to cut the child in half and get half to one woman, half to the other. Right? And the mother speaks up and says, don't harm the child. Give the baby to her. Why? Because love is measured by the degree of giving. Love always has been and always will be measured by the degree of giving. Solomon knew that the mother would step forth, speak up, and would rather give the child away than to let the child die. Now, go down with me after this, verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. That's what godly wisdom does. Can you say amen? Look, look, we've read it so many times, but, but let, me, let me just rehearse this in yours. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 16 and 7. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasure or pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Those things all were manifest in Solomon's life because he asked for wisdom instead of that list of things. Right? Wow, powerful. So I wrote, you can only know the depth of love by the degree of giving, and that is how Solomon knew who the true mother was. Now, listen to this. Kind of wrapping up here. We're wrapping up. Do you remember when I said counselors determine the destiny of kings? Put that back up there, Nathan. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6. Counselors determine the destiny of kings. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, beginning with verse 6. Then he, it's David, then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, so David's talking to his son, right? David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house in my, to my name because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Men of war don't build. Men of peace build. You hear what I'm saying? God said, no, David. David had gathered all that he would need and stockpiled everything he would need to build this when God broke the news to him. David, you're not going to build this house for me. You have been a man of war all your days. You're going to have a son, and his name's Solomon, and he's going to build that house, right? David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. Verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest or peace. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you what? Discretion. Is anybody here with a different version than the English Standard Version? Do you know what the word is in the King James Version? Wisdom. 
Solomon didn't go in there and kneel before the Lord and say what he said until he had received counsel from his father. He knew what to ask for because counselors determine the destiny of kings. David had counseled his son Solomon, and that's why he knew what to ask for. But have you ever met somebody before that got good godly counsel and ignored it? Let's give Solomon some credit. At least he knew what to ask for. He obeyed the counsel that was given him by his father. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God. As he has spoken concerning you, only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. Now, one more thing. Look with me. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 1. 1 Chronicles 29 1 says, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. This, whether you recognize it or not, is more counsel from David to Solomon. I'll tell you why. I want to give you a paraphrase for this passage of Scripture. A palace does not a king make. A palace does not a king make. The verse again, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I say again, a palace does not a king make. Where you live does not make you important. What makes you the person you are is the character of your life. Not in the circumstances or in the material possessions that you have. Now David knew that he needed to sow into Solomon the seed to make the correct request of God. Amen? That's why I told you counselors determine the destiny of kings. If you do not believe me, if you could interview every president of the United States that we've ever had, some of them made good decisions, some of them made bad decisions, but all of them had counselors. All of them had counselors, and they determined the destiny of kings. Amen? Well, I kind of humbly tell you today, as your pastor, I'm one of the counselors in your life. My counsel to you is to lay it all at the feet of God. Amen? Ask him for his wisdom. Now, you say, well, how will I know? Look, look. You know, people say, how will I know God's heard me? You ask, God hears. Amen? Then you just set yourself in a position, be watching for, be looking for, be in touch with, you know, you're, you're, you know what I call it? You know her. Down on the inside, it's your spirit. Amen? Be in touch with your spirit. See what rises up on the inside of you. You had a really great idea. Just do like I do and recognize it for what it is. Recognize the origin of it. There in me, the origin of me, there is nothing good in there. I don't care what you say. There's nothing good in there. It's all about God. It's all about his wisdom. It's all about his character. So I just want to please him. I just want to please him. And I can't please him without his help. We picked a few songs today that we prayed over, and, and we got those songs. Do you realize none of that means anything if God's not in it? 
It just doesn't mean anything if God's not in it. Your plans, your schedule, your address, what you drive, none of that means anything if God isn't in it. Amen? So, you'll pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, I need your wisdom, right? Then you look for how God's going to reveal his plan to you. And then when he does it, you follow the plan. You carry out the the strategics of it with God's help. He helps you with it. He doesn't even say, go do it by yourself. He, he offers you help with it. Amen? If we ask for God's wisdom and we receive a plan from God, it's always better than our plan. Always better. Always better. And we follow that plan, victory becomes assured. Right? Through obedience to God and His plan. And then, I'm telling you, when the victory, when it comes and when it's manifest, you're literally bathing in the glory of God. You're in the presence of the glory of God. There's nothing in this world like the glory of God. Nothing. Amen? Nothing like the glory of God. Right? Now, praise God. Look, that's four weeks we spent talking about that. Wisdom, strategy, victory, and glory. I mean, commit it to memory. Commit it to memory. Let it alter your prayer life. Let it alter the direction you're going in. And, and let it alter what you think about God. Talk to him about him. He likes to hear that. You know what I'm saying? He likes to hear that. You know? He, he likes to hear that we, we declare that we have this deep abiding need for him to lead God and direct. All right? All right. Now, I've had a couple of people. If you hear something in the mouth of one or more witnesses, you, you, you need to pay attention. Amen? How many of you remember when we first started passing the church nine months ago? We talked a lot about the altar, right? The altar. Well, I believe it's high time that we went and taught a series on the altar, right? Want to start that next Sunday. Why? Want to get you ready for something that you're not accustomed to. I know you're not accustomed to it because when we talked about it before, you didn't respond to it. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. I will tell you that as a pastor, it can be a little discouraging. The altar is a place where you go to talk to the Lord about these things like wisdom. Amen? It's also a place where you take things that need to die. And it's a weakness in the church today. People don't know about taking things to the altar to let it die. They don't know about tarrying at the altar. We're going to look at the altar in the Old Testament, and we're going to move to how it fits in the New Testament. I don't even know how long it's going to take, right? But some things are going to change. They're going to change because I love you, and I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. This is what God's told me we need next in his wisdom. This is his strategy, right? It's his plan, and we're going to have victory, right? And then the glory of God is going to rest and be manifest. You can't tell me that you haven't felt a difference in the presence of God today in this very room. I know you have. I saw it on your faces, right? It's only going to get better, right? So now, I'm not pushing and shoving. I'm just feeding you the word, amen? So let me pray for you again about wisdom. And get ready over the next few weeks. We're going to find out what God wants, and we're going to give it to him. Amen? Stand up with me. Father, I want to thank you for how it humbles me, Lord, for you to manifest your word in our lives the way you do. Father, I thank you that our dependence is on you, Lord. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your plans, your strategies. We thank you for your victories because they are yours. We're not even capable of pulling them off, Father, without you. We, there's no victory outside of you. I kind of like to say like Joseph did, it's not in me. It's in you, Father. But I don't want to thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ has set up residency in my heart and in my life, in the lives of people in this room. Father, we thank you that you've spoken through your wisdom. We're going to obey we're going to move forward, Father, for your glory. Lord, be with each and every person in this room. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch our hearts and lives and let us know that once again, if this is the only spiritual workout we get every week, is what happens in this room is not enough. That we need to add daily workouts, Father, in your word.
time in prayer talking to you about your wisdom and your strategies and your victories and your glory, Father. Lord, once again, I want to thank you for establishing my Spring Bible Church, Father. I believe you placed it in order. You called it forth. You breathed life into it. Father, you're continuing to breathe life in it. Thank you for causing it to flourish for your glory, not only for Life Spring Bible Church, but every church in the city that lifts up the name of Jesus. Go with us as we depart from this place today and keep us safe, Father, and begin even now to prepare our hearts for the altars that you will build in our lives for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.